Hello humans, welcome to The Frontline, a leadership and business podcast brought to you by Peregrine Corporate Services, an Isle of Man-based fiduciary provider. My name is Martin Hall, and thank you for listening. In this podcast, we chat to an array of business leaders from different sectors to learn more about them, their market, skill sets, and knowledge. We hope you enjoy. Hello, everyone. Uh, today, I'm joined by Brooke and Dan. Thanks for joining me today, guys. No problem. Yeah, thanks for having us on. My pleasure. Sorry we're uh, stuck on Zoom, but yeah, COVID continues to uh, hamper us all. Uh, so perhaps for our listeners, provide a bit of background to yourself, your sort of growing up education and, and where you were brought up and then what, what took you into the, the uh, you know, uh, uh, world of working. Maybe start with Brooke, we'll go in alphabetical order. Oh, I, like, I like your style. I was just thinking how you're going to uh, sort that out. So, um, yeah, for me, growing up in uh, Kent, uh, which is now a, a nice county that's been decimated by COVID, it was um, quite a modest background. Uh, working class parents grew up uh, on a council estate. Um, normal, comprehensive education with absolutely zero aspirations of going into finance. Um, you know, I had no idea what I wanted to do, to be honest. Mm. Um, you know, sort of went through school as as the class clown and, you know, just more enjoyed getting involved with sports um, than anything else. You know, football, rugby, boxing, cricket, anything, you know, just to keep a, a young man active. Uh, yeah. And then um, as I grew up and, and got involved into, into uh, working, I realised that I had... Um, you know, the, an ability to speak to people and converse, and, and some people mention it as the gift of the gap. And, you know, I started to turn that into into earning a living. So for me, you know, first job out of school was uh, was in Clark's shoe shop. Uh, <laughs> I don't go on about too much, um, as Dan will tell you, but um, I was uh, one of their top handbag salesmen in the Southeast at the age of 16. Um, and then sort of moved that as, uh, as I went into university, into, into other areas just to try and uh, try and nick a living. Um, eventually, you know, uni wasn't for me. Um, dropped out. It, it, it decided that I just I couldn't live that student life. I I don't know how people do it, and you know, my my you know thoughts go to those who who can and 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 love it. It just wasn't the right fit for me. I think I'd had enough of the educational system. Went out to work in Greece for a summer. And uh, when I came back, a friend of mine said, look, I've just um, got involved with this foreign exchange floor in Canary Wharf. Um, do you want to give it a go? I think you'd be a really good fit. You, you can talk to people. And that was it. After that, I just fell into to financial services. Um, absolutely knocked it out of the park in the, in the first three months at this firm I was at. And then sort of just took off from there, really. Just threw myself into it. Uh, and that's where I've been stuck at the age of, I don't know, 18 since. So we'll be coming into 11 years now uh, of financial services uh, two questions then, off the back of that did, was fx uh did you even know what that was when you when you took no, you knew it was well, like, apart from changing your, money up, changing your money up to go on holiday that was about it um you know it wasn't too much you've just been to greece hadn't you so <laughs> well exactly exactly you know i knew what a euro was and that was about it but um no you know going into the the first floor um the first week was all about training um, learning uh, about foreign exchange, why companies and people use it, uh, it you know, from a business perspective, um, you know, the market itself. Um, and it just gripped me, to be honest with you. Um, and the fact that I knew how to sell, I was quite confident in my own ability that I could just pivot 
um, you know, relationships and talking and finding out problems and fixing them. And yeah, it just, it just sort of really, really clicked for me. Um, and then, yeah, I, I took off from there, really. And then I ended up meeting this chap, um, you know, who's below me on my screen. And I've been stuck with him ever since. He's just like an irritant. I can't... In your mind, been below you all the, every step of the way. <laughs> so so just, just one quick question before I, yeah. perhaps we get a bit of Dan's background. Uh, inter- just an interesting thought. When you're talking about being at school there and sort of career aspirations, and I kind of look back at... You go on work experience at school and and then the careers officer comes in and talks to you about what you want to do. Do you remember yeah. having that conversation with them? I do. I do vividly because I wanted to be a television presenter. Oh, OK. OK. See, I wanted to be a, I wanted to be a fighter jet pilot. So I don't think either of us got where we particularly wanted. Well, neither of us took off. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the comedian. Maybe you know, like, should have been a comedian. It's quite funny, though, because, you know, going into that television presenter, I always um, present Dan and I as a real low budget version of Ant and Deck when we come into meetings with people. So I'm clinging on to that hope. But yeah, obviously, it it never arose for me. Well, well, moving on to Deck, uh, where uh, (laughs) uh, perhaps you're growing up, Dan, and, and, and education moving into the working world. Yeah, I mean, again, similar to Brooke, um, I, I, rather than Kent, I'm a Surrey boy through and through. Um, so similar thing, brought up in a, in a working class family. Um, dad worked in law uh, and worked fairly long hours. I knew I didn't want to do that because he was out of the house from seven in the morning till eight, half eight, nine at night. Uh, this was obviously before the days of the internet and before you could do anything from home. So it was a case of once you left the office, you left the office, which is kind of the mentality that I've tried to retain, albeit now that we've started our own company, it's becoming ever more difficult. Uh, and certainly in this day and age of, of modern technology, but essentially I, I was relatively okay at school. Uh, I ma- managed to maintain some semblance of enthusiasm for it, probably up until about A-level, so 16, 17, um, at which point I sort of started getting into the usual other bits and pieces, drinking, um, going out and just starting to enjoy myself a bit more, at which point I sort of I, I dropped the baton, as it were, as far as education was concerned, and my A-levels were really poor. Um, so I went from quite good GCSEs to really poor A-levels, and I'll never forget the day that I got my A-level results, and I was in the pub with a few of my mates, and sort of commiserating, but uh, in a, it, it's strangely happy as well and relieved to be out of the school system. And I remember having to take a call from my dad at the time, and he basically told me enough on certain terms that I was going to need to get off my backside and start working pretty hard. Um, ASAP. So I'd always had quite a good um, work ethic and I'd always really enjoyed earning a few quid. Um, so when I was young, I had um, various jobs from cleaning cars to filling up vending machines and driving around London in vans, filling up vending machines and trying to look at maps while I was driving, you know, through Oxford Street and places like that. And I remember once I was reading a map so vividly that I was swerving over the other side of the road and all my chocolate bars in the boot went all over the place. So it was, um, it, it turned out it wasn't the job for me, but uh, I sort of fell into FX um, when I was 21, uh, having started actually a career in bookmaking. Um, okay. When I left school, I got a job in customer services with a company called Sporting Bet. Um, they relocated to Guernsey about 10 years, well, no, probably about 15 years ago now, uh, when I'd worked there for a couple of years. Um, but that was a great job. I mean, I was setting the odds and watching every bit of sport going. Um, Sounds like the perfect life. Sorry? Sounds like the perfect life. 
it was brilliant. I mean, for a young man going into work, watching every bit of sport going, um, what you know, doing what I love, watching the racing. It's a real passion of mine. Surrounded by a room full of guys that had similar interests, uh, it was it was you know a, a dream come true pretty much. But they relocated to Guernsey. Uh, they flew us all over there, and then <clears throat> excuse me, uh, I didn't. I, I mean, I was eighty. I was twenty-one years old, and it just wasn't for me. Guernsey was very very quiet, and I just didn't fancy the lifestyle. So decided that that wasn't for me. Mm. Uh, so then uh, the opportunity to to work in FX came up. Uh, I worked at a very small firm initially, uh, and on my first day, I remember I was just given a phone, a computer, uh, the seat was optional, um, and pretty much a phone book, and just told to crack on. And cold calling has never really been my bag. Um, so I gave it a good crack for three or four years, but really my, my passion and where I was always going to try and get to in the job was trading, which is fortunately where I ended up and where I am today. Mm, okay. So, so ECAP, as we see now, that, that step for you guys to set up your own business, it's a, it's a, it's a big step. Uh, you know, what were the challenges there and, you know, how have you found it? Um, do you, I, I guess I'll, I'll take that on initially. Um, there's a various challenges with your own business. And, um, you know, a good friend of mine said the, the pathway will be such as, uh, uh, I think it was Norman storming and then performing. Uh, storming, Norman performing, I beg your pardon, whereby there was a lot of ideas uh, initially as to how the company would proceed, what we all wanted out of the business. Bearing in mind the age range between the partners itself, uh, the eldest partner from the business is uh, in his early 40s. And uh, when the business was started, I was just mid-20s. So quite a difference in what we wanted to achieve and what we wanted to get out of it. So uh, the initial, I'd say, six to months to a year um, there was a lot of toing and froing arguing and setting almost an internal hierarchy as to what we wanted but once that area had been you know uh, done and, and it was moved out of the way we really started to hit the ground running we knew when the business um, came to, to fruition what we wanted to achieve and the areas that we wanted to focus on across FX but we knew it couldn't just be foreign exchange <laughs> Foreign exchange as a product is great, um, you know, still very much the core of the business, but there were so many different um, opportunities that in previous capacities we weren't able to get involved with, that now with the shackles off and being able to select the partners we worked with, it was, it was just an open field of areas that we could get into. So payments, banking, uh, swaps, asset management, escrow, the uh, paymaster services. There's so many different caveats to or, or strings to our bow now uh, mm. uh, that, that sees us just more than a payment processor, um, and it's really made a difference. I mean, I don't know, Dan. You know what your thoughts are uh, as to the, you know the, the the making of eCap or or how we got to eCap, but it's been it's been a real journey from start to finish so far. Yeah, it it has. I mean, Brooke and I have, have, have both got you know decent experience now, and and did have when we started eCap and probably more importantly from companies of different backgrounds and different sizes. So I'd gone from a very small company where I started to a, a, a medium tier FX company, I would say. And then we, we met each other at, at a company, which I would say, again, is probably a medium sized company. But the good thing about it is that that gave me experience of working with different systems and, and working in companies that focused on different things. So 
all of those bits and pieces of information I'd picked up along the way, we were able to, again, incorporate into ECAP. And it's the same with Brooke. You know, he works at uh, a company that would probably be, again, probably classed as quite a small firm. Um, there are various other ways of describing it, similar to the one that I first started at, but we'll, we'll call it a small firm just for now. Um, and essentially, small firms in our industry do things very, very differently to ones that have a bit of money behind them. Technology at the moment is a key one. Uh, but certainly payment processes and things like that. And we, we were able to use all of that knowledge and sort of pick out the things that those companies did do well with, with a limited budget and apply them to what we do today. And when, when you look at, uh, I mean, anyone starting a business up, uh, irrespective, I suppose, even looking at if they think they've got a, a thousand years experience, it's still a, it's still a large stepping stone. And, and I suppose that's bigger again, if you've got family and commitments. How daunting was that? Yeah, um, it was really daunting because we, we were both doing very, very well, um, you know, as were the other members of the of the business. And I think if you're ever going to take that jump, it, you've got to, you know, commit and be ready to, to make those mistakes. Now, for me, it was slightly different. It was only my wife and I, um, you know, it wasn't my wife at the time, but we did have a mortgage to pay. Yeah. The case of, well, how you know how confident are you in your ability to make this work and i know full well that any room i go into in any capacity i'm probably one of if not the hardest working person in that room so i'll back myself and you, and you have to when you take that jump if if you're not confident in your ability to make something work then you shouldn't you shouldn't take that risk if you, if you are and you know you have to look at your your performance there's not been a company where I haven't worked at from Clark selling shoes and handbags to, to the FX companies where I've not been one of the top performers. So it's it's trying to then focus that and juggle the, the new aspects of your role of yeah, payroll, staff management, uh, office um, negotiations and tenancy agreements, the, the legalities um, that, that you know, you, you're just adding into it. But it, it's worked a treat. And, and, you know, Dan probably had more risk to take than I did. Um, you know, with, with family circumstances. So, you know, I'm sure he had... Yeah, yeah, I mean, it, it, was, it was a concerted risk, wasn't it? Because as Brooke says, I mean, yes, I had I had a young son at the time, so a young family and, you know, everyone's got mortgage to pay or rent or whatever. And um, there is always an element of risk there. I suppose all you can do is make it as much of a concerted risk as possible. And, you know, we knew our track records. We knew that we had, um, you know, done it as it were at other companies in the past and started from scratch and been successful. So. You know, we thought, well, if we can just go some way towards replicating that when we're working for ourselves, then yeah. surely from a lifestyle perspective, first and foremost, it was going to be the way to go. So, um, you know, if, if things didn't work out, obviously there was there was we never really discussed it because obviously you don't want to talk negatively and, and, and think of that as a possibility. But needless to say, if, if the, the worst did work out, then, um, you know, we could have explored options about going back into the industry and seeking employment again. Yeah, I guess, like like, like anything, it's you. And certainly, in a new venture, you remain positive. But inevitably, you have to always ask the alternative or think about the alternatives. And uh, taking that taking that step, I guess, is a is a, is a is a risk, isn't it? So, course, yeah. FX, again, uh, FX isn't isn't my uh, my expertise. So, like you say, starting with the basics of people changing money to go on holiday. You guys maybe just expand a little bit more on. On, on, I suppose the FX market, I believe, is one of the bit or is the biggest financial market in the world. 
uh, and just the areas uh, and yeah, a bit of background how it all works, maybe even just a kind of one-on-one guide. Yeah, sure. I mean, um, sure, sure, I'll take this. But yeah, take it, I mean, the, the, when I first got into this industry, uh, people used to say to me, it's the biggest unregulated casino in the world. Um, and the more I learned about the industry, the more that sort of rang true in the sense that, you know, 98% or something like that of the money that goes through FX markets, which is trillions of pounds every day, um, is for speculative purposes. And that's, that tends to be what moves the markets around. It's people taking positions and, and seeking to make a profit from it. Um, obviously, what we do is, is different to that in that we do not speculate on the market. But what we do is we provide a deliverable FX service, which means that we are servicing clients who have a need to either buy or sell a currency for a specific purpose to pay off a certain contract, to pay for certain goods, to buy a property or an asset. Um, so it's for a purpose that hence it's delivered uh, currency. So it needs to be sent from one place to another. Um, and there's no speculation in what we do at all. We, we do, I mean, even to this day, just, despite the fact most people that we've been working with have been working with us for years, they'll still call us up some days and, and say, oh, you know, the dollar looks really high at the moment. You know, is, do you think I should be buying it? And then in, you know, a couple of years time, look to sell it off. And that's just not something that we can facilitate at all. And it's not something that we can do. But obviously we can point people in the right direction for that. But to be honest with you, our, our job or my job specifically, I suppose, is to help companies not only with achieving the best margins and the best rates but also a big part of what we do is identify and and demonstrate to clients the risks to their business from from adverse currency fluctuations so you look at recent big events we look at brexit we look at covid you know the us political situation uk political situation all of these things have a massive effect on the exchange rate and therefore you know if you've got a company that's wholly reliant on importing or exporting these this this is absolutely crucial and imperative for them to consider um when they're starting out really and make sure that they've got all their ducks in a row and make sure that they're properly catered for this sort of stuff because you say for example brexit night um three or four years ago we saw a 25 percent move in sterling's value now if you've got let's say a food business that works off big volume but small margin they might work off maybe three to five percent profit margins a 25 percent move in the space of three or four hours which is what we saw on brexit night is catastrophic so if people haven't got adequate cover in place to cater for that sort of stuff then ultimately it could be their business gone overnight so that's a key part of certainly what i do it's you know getting into the nitty-gritty of where their budgeted rates are um giving them a tailored approach and and, and helping them out with their strategy with regard to tackling the fx market you know identifying their buying patterns and essentially being a very big cog in in the wheel that is their business because um you know we are ultimately their eyes and ears on the market and you know if it wasn't quite often for the job that we do then they would be wholly exposed to what could be a very volatile market yes a lot there's a lot of added value there isn't there that uh that can be added uh not just yeah absolutely and that's that's exactly what we try and do i mean anyone anyone can say oh i can give you the best rates i can give you the best margins but ultimately it's what we do over and above that it's the commentary on the markets it's you know alerting people to the fact that there's there's key data coming out and how it might affect the market and making sure that they're, they're properly hedged against the risk of you know adverse fluctuation in those scenarios just um add into that you know, a lot of people listening to this podcast might think, well, you know, Dan's just selected 
you know, potentially one of the biggest events to describe that volatility, which is which is true. But if you take last year, for example, and, and I, I know this because I actually had to do some work on this, uh, not yesterday, but the day before. But sterling dollar from the highest point of trade last year to the lowest point, the difference in value was 19 percent. Now, if you, um, you know, look at even something, um, you know, simple from a private perspective of, as, of buying a house and you pay your deposit at, at buying that house and you budget at that high point, and unfortunately, by the time you come to complete, you're at the low point, you've got to add an extra fifth uh, onto, onto your actual property purchase. And that you could knock your dream house move completely out of the park. So there's a lot um, of influence in there. The markets are always moving. It's not just single day moves. It's it's over the course of the bigger picture. And I think that's what we try to reflect to clients. Not many clients out there in business or or private clients realize just how important foreign exchange fluctuations can be to what they're trying to do um, and it's only when really that we take them through it and look at their business figures and demonstrate that in black and white that they start to stick up and uh, sit up and take notice and, and just to go back to the uh, just to trade appreciate you not trader but the trading aspect in regard to fx so again as a, as a not working in that space they would just be as stupid as it's going to sound, a trader, and they're just constantly looking at the news cycles to see where where there might be weaknesses, and then trade off trade off the back of that. Essentially, yeah. I mean, it, if, if if you actually trade the markets for a living or on behalf of another company, but for speculative purposes, it gets incredibly technical. So you know, you're looking at you know Fibonacci sequences, and you're looking at you know a huge amount of scientific and technical data. There, it goes beyond the levels that we look at which is data releases and and that sort of stuff it it really is um you know it's identifying trends and there's a lot of chart work and it gets too technical for for my iq anyway yeah i presume it's fairly i i nowadays as well ai driven i would guess as well yeah Yeah. a lot of algorithms are implemented certainly by the spec traders is is there a wider wider thing in the community where obviously that trading ultimately has a knock-on effect by them trading that then has a negative is there a negative within the markets view of people are are currency traders per se because they're creating volatility ultimately because they want it um yes and no i mean the only problem that it causes it it can make us look a bit silly at times because you can often find that there's so much speculation around a a big event um and 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 let's say brexit is one so again to use to use that as an example we saw a 25 percent drop when when the uncertainty came about of us leaving the eu when when that announcement came about and when the vote came about a few years ago so you'd have expected that once we got because the markets hate uncertainty it's the main thing that causes a currency to weaken off it's always been the case be it political uncertainty or whatever the case may be that's what that's the primary thing that causes the currency to weaken off so you'd have thought that once we got clarity on the fact that we were leaving and it was all the, the deal was done a couple of weeks ago that sterling would have shot through the roof on the back of that because obviously the market has clarity and we can see a way forward but because there had been so much speculative flow going through sterling you know in the last four years since the vote happened and therefore we'd seen appreciation you didn't actually see any reaction at all when when it came about that the deal was done and that you know everyone had that bit of security and that you know could see the way forward um so that that just goes to show how much speculative trading goes on and it was very there was very little reaction, if any, actually, to the announcement that came about a couple of weeks ago. 
And uh, I know you guys, obviously I'm based in the Isle of Man. Uh, I know you obviously work globally, but you do do a reason why I work on the Isle of Man. I've met you on the Isle of Man before. And you've got a close affiliation with the Isle of Man as well. So, uh, which we always obviously like on the Isle of Man. And, you know, as a UK firm, you, you, you're investing, you not only invest a lot of time here, you invest now in sponsorship as well. Do you want to talk a bit about what you do there? Because I think, I think that's important to, to show that, you know, you're investing in the community here as well. Yeah, sure. Um, so, I mean, we've been coming to the Isle of Man and working with Manx-based businesses since 2013, I think it was, Dan. Was the, was yeah, the time we yeah it was 2013. Yeah. Uh, and it was quite funny. We started, we basically done a bit of research and, and identified that was, was a real area of improvement we could bring from a foreign exchange perspective um, to, to the businesses based offshore. Uh, you know, banks used that offshore ta uh, uh, tag to essentially uh, charge above and beyond um, in terms of margins. And we came in and it was almost low hanging fruit. Once we proved that we could do it and we weren't in there for quick wins and we could save businesses and ultimately their clients money, um, you know, it was just a case of, okay, where do we sign? Let's go. So we came over for the first trip. I think it was in the summer just of, um, of 2013. We had five meetings. It was a day trip. We got there done all of the meetings and then as we finished the last meeting realized we needed to rush back to Ronald's way from Douglas um, to, to catch our flight. We Anyway, on the old Castle Town Road, we got stuck behind a tractor for the best part of, of I'd say, a mile and a half and we had to wait until we uh, could pull around it. We nearly missed the flight and from that point onwards, we was like, right, next time we come over, we've got to stay. We can't risk that again. It was a nightmare. So that sort of um, led to us really growing that trip um, into... Uh, trying to become almost an integral cog of the financial services market in the Isle of Man. And it comes to a point, but you know, before COVID, we were over once every six weeks for a week at a time when we could have really done two. You're looking at 40 to 50 meetings per trip, lunches, dinners, breakfast. Um, you know, it's almost, you feel like when you've come home from a business trip in the Isle of Man that you've been on a week long stag do. <laughs> Where we've developed friendships and, and, and client relationships, We've always said that we'd like to give something back to the community when the right opportunity presents itself. And uh, a good friend of ours, um, uh, heavily involved with the Isle of Man FA, um, and said, look, guys, got an opportunity here for you to sponsor the FA Cup. Now, you you all know that Dan and I love our football. Um, you know, I don't have to tell you that, you know, I, I, you know, I support West Ham. Dan's an Arsenal fan. We both love playing the game. I won't talk too much about burning Dan for pace and slamming one in the top bins from 25 yards before at Green Park, but that's a different story from another podcast. Um, we went for it. We, you know, we jumped in met, uh, and spoke to the chairman of the FA at the time. Um, you know, signed signed a, a contract um, for I think it was initially free, but it'll be four years now because of the postponement of the first competition. And we know how much the Manx public love their sport. You, you, you know, you only have to speak to people, whether it's running, cycling, um, you know, canoeing, triathlons, Ironmans, football, rugby. They're so immersed in, in, in grassroots level sport. It was about time we gave something back and football certainly seemed the best route to go down. Yeah, no, interesting. Yeah, no, no, no it's, uh, it's gone down well in the, the community locally. Yeah, definitely. And it's just, it's great for us because look, we, we've not got the branding of, you know, some of the bigger, uh, companies within our competition, but it's selective branding. We do a lot of business here in the Isle of Man and we aim to continue that. And for people to see that we aren't just here for the, for the quick wins, despite the fact we've been coming nine years, but we are giving back to the community and we will continue to do so. I think that puts a little bit more trust um, in, in what we're looking to do. 
Yeah, no, I couldn't agree more. Couldn't agree more. So on a again, I go back to FX for, for uh, sort of the what you know the, the basics of you know if I need 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 help with the currency exchange. Why? Why? Obviously, you touched on it a little bit there, Dan. But for businesses, you can help from a variety of areas for helping with banking arrangements and and also, I suppose, just working in the financial services industry, be, be a signpost for people if you can't help them, point them in the right direction. But maybe a, a, a quick kind of headlines of where you can help individuals and businesses. Yeah, of course. I mean, <clears throat> a lot of the work that we do in the Isle of Man is is quite unique in the sense that. Um, it's very much requirement driven um, and it's, you know, Joe Bloggs is buying a big asset or investing into some sort of stock uh, and it needs to be transferred and he needs to transfer sterling to, to dollars in order to do so. Um, so it's very much reactive and it's, it's just us creating them an account, which we can do quite quickly, uh, assuming all the KYC is in order. And then it's just an execution uh, exercise. That doesn't really obviously require too much strategy. It's just, right, we need to transfer money from A to B and we need to get it done yesterday, essentially. So that's when we need to move quite quickly and be quite agile, which we've, we've learned that we need to do in the Isle of Man. Um, what I do otherwise is work with a lot of UK SMEs uh, in various different sectors from, you know, laser eye surgery to seafood, seafood importers and exporters. Um, and, you know, I would help them more with strategy, look at the more long-term outlook um and and forecasts for the fx rates and how that may impact them and help them out with their budgeting and and you know where they think they're going to be from one year to the next so there's there's as i say i, I do become a fairly integral part of the business if i say so myself and um you know we we try and be as proactive as we can in letting people know what what the market's doing and, and probably more importantly for, for a lot of people what it's forecasted to do and and where they should be sort of budgeting themselves okay and, and maybe just a final question from my side, the, 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 as we get more and more digital and there's obviously those elements which are very uh, are very personable elements of that business. When you just look at more the, the fundamentals of FX trading, moving everything more and more online, I presume become more, more automated. I assume there's a point where it becomes more, uh, there's always needs a client relationship. But in a way, do you see that the, the, the FX exactly. I mean, from a tech point? That, that has been a consideration of ours. Indeed, it was a consideration of ours when we set up this mm -hmm. business because, as you say, everyone, you know, I do all my banking online. I never I never call Lloyd's Bank and, and ask them to do anything for me. Everything's done online and, you know, everyone just finds that easier. There, there, there's a few factors that, that we need to consider. There's a slight generational thing. Uh, the older generation probably still prefer to speak to someone on the phone. But also, you're never going to get... Um, advice on strategy or hedging or anything like that from an online platform. So that's where we can help out a hell of a lot with um, the data and the information that we've got. That obviously, we can share and try and tailor it to exactly what the client wants and needs and, and ultimately what they want to achieve, be it from a hedging perspective or otherwise. Yeah, okay. And people that want to reach out to you guys, what's the best way to do that? Uh, we, we're very, very active on LinkedIn. Um, we've both got LinkedIn uh, pages so people can view us online. Um, there's uh, the website, which is uh, exchange-capital.com, um, or they can reach us on our emails, which are, are quite simple. It's just brooke at exchange-capital.com and dan at exchange-capital.com. So we, we try and keep things simple because we're simple folk. So. <laughs> <laughs> we'll add them into our show notes. Uh, and okay. yeah, anyone wants to even just chat with the guys and get, get more info as well, do get in touch. 
appreciate you educating us a little bit more on, on the boxes and the, the complexity of them as well. So appreciate your time today, guys. Yeah, no, thanks for having us, Martin. It's been great. Pleasure.